honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Urban Misfit Show. Today, I've got Adam Brotz, and I'm super, super excited to dive into his story and what he's been through. I'm an incredible, incredible human. He's a founder, Air Force veteran, um, musician, just a man of many, many talents, and he has so many stories. So I'm super excited to dive deep into those today. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the Urban Misfit Show today. I have Adam Bratz, right? Mm-hmm. I said it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you did. I'm yeah. super, super geeked about this episode. He was an Air Force, or he's an Air Force veteran, musician, founder, just a dude of many, many talents. It's many talents. Can't talk today. Um, thank you for coming on, dude. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Like I'm geeked. Yeah, I, I, me too. <laughs> so just starting off, you introduced us to Kylie, our marketing assistant. Right. Yeah, I know yeah. like previously you talked about... Um, just your passion for helping students. Can you talk sure. about where that came from? Right. Well, uh, one of the things that I I do is I'm a professional network development coach, and and I sometimes do one on one things, and sometimes I teach seminars, and that's where I met Kylie. Was I was teaching a uh, kind of a network development one on one course at Concordia University, and she was there and came up and said hi afterwards, and said she was a marketing student. I was like, hey, I got somebody that you should talk to. And then yeah, I was really happy that you guys were able to connect. Like, that's really cool. Um, I learned firsthand when I worked in the nonprofit world. I was in the nonprofit world for about three years after yeah. after I was in the Air Force. Just, just the value of having a diverse, like organically grown network. And by that, I mean not going through LinkedIn and just clicking connect to everybody that you can see, but actually interacting with people uh, whether it be digitally or face to face, but ideally, you know, both, um, it, it's, it's super valuable. I've gotten jobs from it. I've, uh, I've, it's open doors for me. And I noticed I started with wanting to coach military veterans, especially former enlisted military veterans on yeah. professional network development, because a lot of them just don't have a clue um, about that aspect and, and how valuable it is for them to gain not only employment, but meaningful employment. Uh, so, so that's where that started. And actually I connected with a guy named Ed Garza, who, um, is with Concordia university. He's a veteran. Um, and he said, come on in and talk to my students. And that's, that's kind of where that came from. Uh, so now I'm, I'm doing students as well. Um, hoping to get into the, uh, sports, arena, the former division, a kind of collegiate athletes thing, financial management's very important topic there as well. Um, just teaching as many people, uh, about networking, getting their finances together, getting their, their kind of their professional life and their career and how they support their career and their families and all that stuff, uh, all at the same time. It's fascinating, dude. Like when I was in college, um, I was a collegiate athlete, right? I was a triple jumper, track and field. Really? I was, dude. Okay. I know I I know I don't look athletic, but I, I had the body. I, I can see it. I can see Thanks, the Thanks, Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like it was track and it was school. It wasn't, okay, let's go build our network. It right. wasn't, okay, let's learn mm-hmm. about money. Why do you think that is? And what are some things that we should be teaching? 
those students. Well, I didn't, I didn't think about that when I was in college. I didn't care about my network. I didn't care about uh, saving money. I just assumed that it, you know, fell out of the sky and Same. and everything would be okay. And that's just not a reality. And in a lot of cases, banking and network development and those things that are kind of or banking and money saving and financial development and network development and career development is not part of an upbringing or a culture. Um, uh, one of the nonprofits that I worked for for a long time taught financial literacy, uh, financial literacy programs yeah. to inner city uh, kids in, in the Milwaukee area. Uh, in the uh, particularly Milwaukee public schools. Obviously, there's not a banking or a budgeting or financial like saving. It's not just part of the family education. It's just not part of the culture. So and same with network development. So I think kind of changing the idiom and, and letting people understand that and educating them about like, yes, this is not a scary institution. This is something that not only is inclusive and something that you can be a part of, and there are people that will bring you in uh, and support you, um, but you also need to take advantage of that. Like, it's not something that's other. It is relevant to you. It's important, whether you're a college student or you've had a rough upbringing or, or whatever, everywhere in between, like, it's super important that you develop your network and anyone can do it. So that's kind of where that comes from. What's some, what are some ways that you would advise people to go about building that network? And I, t I talked about this a little bit on the video. Thank you for posting that video, by the way. You, you actually made me look somewhat cool. <laughs> so, so thank you for that. Um, it's my job, man. It's actually Dits' <laughs> job. Dits edited the video, not me. Thank but. you for making me look <laughs> passably cool. I appreciate it. Um, but I think networking with everyone and anyone and not and being inclusive and not discriminating you never know where a fruitful connection is going to come from. You, you just never know. I'll use fundraising as an example. I was in the nonprofit world for, for three years or so. Um, you never know who's going to have a rich uncle. You know, you don't just network with the people that have money or power or influence. You just network to build your community. And if you do so with a positive attitude and you're collaborative and you focus on the other person and not like, when can I ask for money or when can I close the sale or when can I do X, Y, Z? How can I benefit? If you focus on, I want to learn as much as I can about this person and see if I can connect them with somebody else in my network, all that other stuff, it comes naturally. Um, and same goes for financial planning, any of those kind of, uh, kind of higher level sales, uh, or base level sales. If you know you want to sell somebody a basketball, I would suggest you get to know them first. You know. Yep. I love that man. Yeah. I I saw an awesome quote the other day. It was like, "Treat everybody like they're God dressed in drag," or something uh, like. I that. like it's that. Like, yeah, yeah. Everybody has something that they can teach you, and I totally agree with that. Right um, on. Yeah. Can you walk me through how Adam? Bratz became Adam Bratz. It's Bratz, right? That's, it is. It, yep, it yep, trips yep. you up every time, dude. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, and a lot, I, we were just talking about it earlier. A lot of people called me Sergeant Bratz when I was in the Air Force. And I just, after a while, I just stopped correcting him. You know, <laughs> I, I don't really mind either way. Um, boy, it's been a long, it's been a long journey. And, and I believe strongly, I'll preface it by saying, I believe strongly that career progressions should be like this. And for mm. those that are not watching and listening, I just did kind of a snaky motion with my hand. Yeah. Um, we're, we're so often taught when you're 17, 16, 17, 18, year, 18 years old, you have to decide what you're going to do 
for the rest of your life. That's insane. You have to decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And then there's this linear path from high school to college to career to marriage to white picket fence to death, you know, like and very few people have a life like that. Some people do and some people like that. And that's great. Good for them. But for so many people, there's like this kind of snaky, interdisciplinary, you know, you go in this direction, you learn something here, you go in this opposite direction, you learn something here. And if, if people just embrace that, man, the growth and, and, and the experience that you can gain from just from embracing having a, a, a wide variety of, of professional experiences. So that's, that's my preface. Um, so I like to say I've kind of had a Forrest Gump life. <laughs> I said that once at a, at a high school that I was, that I was talking about financial literacy at and everybody looked at me like I was crazy. And I realized they hadn't seen Forrest Gump, which is like unfathomable to me, but, um, amazing movie. Yeah. Oh, it's man. If you haven't seen it, oh my gosh, go see it like yesterday. Uh, so I started out, I grew up in the Madison, Wisconsin area, Sun Prairie, kind of, you know, white middle-class suburbia, not really a lot of variety and a wide variety of things. There's just yeah. nothing, you know, strip mall city. Since then, it's grown so much, like, and it's become kind of more of a culturally diverse place, which is very, has, you know, benefits the, the landscape there, like, quite a bit. But when I was there, it was very homogenous. Uh, one thing that they had going for them was a lot of support in their public music education. And I got sucked into this jazz program, uh, being a piano player, um, and really seeing, idolizing the high school jazz players and wanting to be in that top jazz band. So I ended up getting into jazz piano and it was like my obsession. I would stay up till two in the morning, just practicing. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I hadn't ever felt like that about anything else in my whole life. So, I mean, you, you, when you get into those places, you got to ride the wave. And I did. So I, I went to Eau Claire, UW Eau Claire up north there for my, uh, for my undergrad. And I majored in music, Bachelor of the Arts, liberal arts degree in music. Uh, spent a short amount of time as a touring professional musician, did some contracts with Carnival Cruise Lines. So I essentially lived on a boat in the Caribbean for huge chunks of time, and, which was a great gig. I mean, it was, it was a blast. Um, not a great way to like lead a healthy lifestyle for yeah. a long period of time. Like you can't do that gig for 20 years and not, you know, it's just not, not healthy, uh, but it was fun. Uh, so I played on some CDs that nobody's probably ever heard of and uh, ended up transitioning into, I auditioned for and made it into an air force band, which a lot of people don't know that the military has bands, but uh, so that's where I kind of, it was music that brought me into the military and, and that's like the first weird left turn that my life took. I was very, you know, nothing but music. And then all of a sudden I'm nothing but music, but I'm also an airman. I'm also, you know, a trained member of the military. And I started developing professionally. I started learning things and getting training in a wide variety of things, you know, from, you know, being competent in an office setting. How do you use this copy machine? Yeah to how do you, you know, fire extinguisher training. We had to go through all sorts of crazy training to, you know, diversity and inclusion training to uh, sexual harassment and sexual harassment reporting training. Air Force is great with their training. We were trained to death. So, so I started to become kind of more well-rounded as a professional. I spent some time uh, with an Air Force band. Uh, I was also a tour manager, but I, I, I spent some time in the Middle East with an Air Force band. 
And the Air Force bands, when they go out there, they play for people that the USO can't or won't go to. The USO goes out there, they'll perform for people at a base that's kind of bigger, more secure, a little more on lockdown. Yeah. But it's the people that are in more remote locations and in, in a little less uh, safe locations. Those are the ones that really deserve a taste of home. Um, so that's where we came in and we would go to these random locations, sometimes play for 12 people or 20 people, 30 people and bring in battery powered gear and, uh, and, uh, and play for them. Uh, and I've got a few like crazy stories from that time. If, 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 if you want to hear them, but, uh, that's incredible, man. I, I didn't even know that was a thing. It is. I, and it's amazing how many people in the air force don't know that there's an wow. air force band. Would you say that it was your level of, of obsession with music that made you do that, that, took you down that turn that kept you doing that? Right. I mean, I, I wanted to play music. That's all I wanted to do. So why not the conventional path? Why not go play gigs in coffee shops? Why right, not go right. um, audition for The Voice or something like that? Why <laughs> sure. Why the military? It wasn't It wasn't long before I got really tired of, of the grind. And joining the Air Force Band, the attractive thing for me was the steady salary and health yeah. benefits. And, you know, I kind of wanted to... And I could play every day and we were on tour seven to 10 days out of every month. So I could tour, I could go all over the place, meet some great musicians and play some stuff that I wanted to play, some kind of wallpaper stuff that I didn't want to, but I had some outlets to be creative. And, and to me, that was like the dream job. But then kind of in the back background, I started falling in love with the Air Force and falling in love with the, that professional community. And eventually I transitioned to... Um, Again, being burned out by the road, I transitioned to Air Education and Training Command, mm -hmm. where I was a military training instructor. Air Force has to call everything a weird name. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they call it a military training instructor, but other people would call it a, dr a drill sergeant or a drill instructor. So I wore a big hat and not unlike your big hat, it had a little badge in the middle. <laughs> um, but I wore a big hat and I yelled at people very loudly and made them do push-ups. Dude, I can't clean. imagine you yelling. <laughs> it's, it's, it seems like a million years ago, That's but crazy. I, I was, uh, yeah, I was pretty loud and, uh, and it wasn't, and I enjoyed that job quite a bit. I mean, it was, it, the training was next level and you'd imagine that training to be like, here's how you yell at a person or teach him how to clean a bathroom with a toothbrush. But, but really the training for that is mostly, uh, psychology and group dynamics mm -hmm. and how do you reach diverse groups of people? Cause I get people from rural Idaho and inner city Chicago all in the same flight. And how do you, how do you reach out to people that all have different backgrounds and different learning styles? How do you do that? Well, you gotta have, uh, you gotta have different tools in your toolbox. And, and so an interesting story from that, um, if you're okay with me sharing, yeah, yeah, okay. always, dude. um, so I had a, I had just finished my classroom training portion of becoming certified as an instructor. And I was in more of a shadowing role. And I was uh, learning under a guy named Sergeant Alarcon, really just next level instructor, a lot of experience, really like a lot of successes and training a lot of people. He was a man. He's, he still is a man. He's amazing. Um, so we were in the chow hall. We usually try to leave the the trainees alone in the chow hall. You know, they they don't get a lot of respite. You know, they sleep. Let them it's sleep. Chow hall. The chow hall where they Can eat you, food. Okay. Yeah. I just wouldn't. Yeah. The the, the yeah. dining hall. Okay. Um. So we try not to you know get in their face when they're mm -hmm. unless they do something egregious. You know, we just let them eat. Sometimes they have to hurry, and it's like okay, lick a biscuit and get out. 
But, uh, you know, we try to let them have their time to eat and whatnot. But this 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 kid had done something just next level stupid. And so I looked at Sergeant Alarcon and this kid obviously knew he did something wrong, but had this defiant attitude on his. You could see it on his face. He had come from from a rough place. You, you can just tell. And and I looked at him. I said, I am I'm on it. I'm looking forward to this. And he turned around. And he looked at me. He said, I know exactly what you're thinking about doing. And I can tell you right now that it's not going to work. And this is a guy that I've seen dismantle people with his words, with his voice, with his actions. You know, he is he is power on two feet, you know, and and I was like, what do you mean, sir? And he he said, I can tell you right now, you're going to go over there and you're going to yell at that guy louder than you've ever yelled at anybody in your entire life. But I can tell you right now that that guy has been yelled at his entire life and you raising your voice isn't going to do anything. I was like, wow. I mean, my mind's blown at this point. And I said, okay, well, how do, what do I do? And I can't remember exactly how he said it, but it was something to the effect of, you know, when, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you need to have different tools in your toolbox. And he goes, watch. So he walks over to this kid and he stands him up. So the kid's locked up. He's standing at attention. He's got this look on his face. Like, I don't care about what any of you have to say. And he's expecting somebody to lay into him, you know, like what I was thinking about doing. And so Sergeant Allercott, doesn't even raise his voice. He gets within, you know, like 12 inches of this kid's face. And he says, why are you here? And he gives a generic, like, to serve my country, sir. And he's like, bull, why are you here? And the kid didn't say anything. And Sergeant Alarcon starts going to, let me guess, you came from a blank upbringing. Was your dad too hard on you? Was your dad not there? Are you doing this so you can provide for your family? So you can show your mom that you, and he just goes into all of these things and ends up every time he gets a subliminal reaction from this guy, <clears throat> he realizes that he hit goal and he's just, just basically explaining the kid's life without hearing a single word from him. Next thing you know, this tough kid is just blubbering tears down his face. And, and the point of this wasn't to break this kid. No. By the end of it, Sergeant Alarcon was like, you know, I, if you really want to make this change in your life, I, I expect more from you. And that kid was bad to the bone from that point on, like an absolutely indispensable member of the flight from then on out. And it was then that I learned like, holy cow, you do need different tools in your toolbox. Not everyone learns the same. Not everyone has the same background and the same approach is not going to work for, for different people. So that was, that was mind blowing for me um, um, during my time as an instructor, which, which for me, was the greatest kind of formative years for me professionally, I, I would say up to this point. What are some of the things that you look for when you're deciding what tool to pull out of your toolbox? Oh boy. Well, I, it depends on if I'm in a classroom environment where I'm <laughs> like just meeting somebody for the first time, or if I'm kind of more engaged with them, like an employee that I see on a daily basis. Mm. Um, obviously it's easier to tell if you spend more time with them, but I, I would say from an employee standpoint, learning style is really important. If somebody doesn't learn from hearing something, you telling them today, I would like, even if they're in a team today, I would like the blue team to accomplish blank. They're probably not going to, either they won't execute it or they won't execute it at the highest possible level because that's not how they receive and retain information. So it, after a while, you can kind of start to pick out, does this person like to see things written down? Does this person like to hear things? Does this person like, is textile? Do they like to hold things in their hand and, and learn by doing? 
And, and as those three categories, I mean, there's other ways to learn, but those three categories are kind of the, the bigger ones. As you, as you start to acquire that information, uh, you can taper how you are presenting information and really get the most out of your folks. And, and that's, that's how you get humming as an organization. Uh, that's how you get cruising as a flight in the air force or whatever, you know, is, is the learning how these people are receiving information and then effectively putting them in a group so they can, you know, kick butt together. Dude, that's incredible. And you're like, you're kind of talking about habits, which I'd, I'd love to talk about. And I know like, that's a lot of what you have done is just formulate good habits. Can you talk about like what, in terms of what you're doing now, what habits you've, you formulated and how they're helping you live? Um, how how they're helping you achieve what you want to achieve today? Well, right. So right now I'm I'm in an interesting place. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm district partner for J Dog Junk Removal and Hauling. I have oversight for operations, personnel, and logistics for basically all J Dog stuff in southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, three territories, six counties, twenty plus employees. Um, and in addition to that, I have a side project called the Post-Military Professional where I try in my limited free time to, to write articles um, and that help that are kind of uh, targeting military members and transitioning military members mm-hmm. to kind of help them in their transition uh, from military to civilian life, whether it be employment-based or lifestyle-based. Mostly it's centered around employment and professional stuff because um, it's also kind of a cultural shift. It's more than just getting a gig. You know, there's a huge cultural shift. So, so things that I, that I'm doing right now to kind of stay afloat, cause I'm, I'm very busy. I'm, I'm married and I have three kids at home and I have a dog and I have a house and I have, you know, uh, really effectively planning and even planning to plan. Like <laughs> I have, I have time booked out in my week. Like this is where I'm going to plan for next week. And if I don't put my planning to plan, plan time, on my plan, I'm not going to plan. Okay. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. If it's not on the calendar, it doesn't happen. Agreed. It's, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't. And, and I learned that from my wife because she was like, we have to start putting date night on the calendar because otherwise we don't do date night. And she's absolutely right. So, uh, it's gotta be on the calendar. Put your planning time on the calendar. Cause there's, especially if you're busy, you got a family and you got a lot going on. You guys are busy as heck. You guys are, are nonstop. I mean, everybody's busy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Every, everybody's busy. I say all the time, if it's not on my Google Calendar, I'm not going to get to right, you. I'm not going to be today. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I barely answer my text, man. So I feel that. Was there was there ever a time that you were just like, shit, like I, I can't do this anymore in terms of like what you're building now? Hmm. I try not to get there. There was one time in my career where I thought I I can't do this, and and it's it's. I'll tell you this story. It's from my time when I was under the, I was in the Air Force under the Greater Wing of Public Affairs. Uh, so I was in the Air Force Band. We were deployed. I was really down in the dumps because I had been in Iraq for like 10 days. And I finally, ha- I had access to email for the first time in, in my trip. And I go to, to access my email. And I had an email from my friend that was looking after my house that I owned while I was away. And he had no other way to get in touch with me. He said, man, I have, I have no idea how to tell you this. And I'm sorry, it's in an email, but your house has been broken into and you have nothing left. Yeah. Like they, they completely cleared me out. So I'm looking at like, I got three months left in my deployment and I'm thinking like every day about my house 
and the broken glass and like, how am I going to get back and replace everything that they took? I mean, it was, they cleaned me out. So I was down in the dumps from that and, and kind of burnt out from the tour. We had gone, we were playing for troops and communities, you know, hearts and minds sort of stuff. And we did Iraq and Afghanistan, Kyrgyzstan, Oman, UAE. Um, did I say Kuwait? We were in Kuwait too. For a while we played uh, an embassy gig there. Um, but I was burnt out from the road and I was feeling really bad about kind of my position and my role. A, a lot of people in the military think that the Air Force Band is a waste of tax dollars because mm. they haven't seen firsthand the diplomatic power of of music. Yeah. I mean, I have seen musicians use the the healing power and connected power of music to stop riots in Kyrgyzstan. You know, like people don't understand, they call it non-kinetic weaponry. You know, it's, it's powerful stuff. And so I forgive them because they just don't get it. You get it as a music, you know, you're, you're a musician, you get it. Um, but at, at this point I was, I was starting to believe the naysayers. So, so I was on a Black Hawk helicopter and the middle of nowhere uh, near the border of Iran, heading to this forward operating position. We were going to go play for, there were like 25 people there and we were going to go play to whoever went on convoy and give them a taste of home and get out of there. And I'm, I'm looking around this, this Black Hawk helicopter, looking at the pilots. I'm looking at the machinery. We're taking two helicopters out. I'm thinking of my salary, his salary, her salary, their salary, all of our battery powered gear under the Black Hawk. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe they're right. Maybe I am a waste of taxpayer dollars. And, and I'm just, I'm dejected. And, and so we're flying to this, this, this Ford operating position and I'm just thinking about my exit strategy. Like I've got a year and a half left in the air force. I'll get out. I'll go back to school. I'll do this, that, and the other. Like I was ready to leave the air force immediately. Like I was, I was that beat down. Cause I have to, I'm like a typical millennial. Like I, I have to feel like I have purpose in my work. So we land, we played our show. Um, and it was, you know, it was decent. There were some people that were, that were into it, you know, and, and we're playing for them. Some people are like the bands here. That's fine. Okay. But, but the two or three people that are really into it, I mean, we're, we're there for them, but this was a good crowd. There's 15 people watching and they seem to be having a good time and they just appreciated that we were giving them a taste at home. I still didn't feel very good though. I felt, I felt crummy. So we're packing up, waiting for the, the Blackhawk to come back and to pack it up and get out of there. And this young uh, army soldier comes up and taps our drummer on the, the shoulder. And he, he looks at us and he says, you know, I can't thank you enough for doing what you did, you know, for, for, for playing the show. And, you know, it really meant a lot. And we're like, oh, okay, thanks, man. Sounds good. And I don't remember his name. I'll never forget his face, though. Um, and he said, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know how I was going to make it through the week. And because I guess he had just been extended another three months when, when, you know, he was, the light was at the end of the tunnel. He was almost done and his unit got extended. So he had to be in that lonely place for, so for him, the light at the end of the tunnel just blinked out, you know, he's, he's, he was beat down and we're like, okay, cool, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And he goes, no, I don't think you guys understand. I wasn't planning on making it through the week. Like that young man was going to, he was going to take his own life. Because that light at the end of the tunnel blinked out. He could not see that home existed for him anymore. And by using our non-kinetic weaponry and playing a journey medley on battery-powered equipment in the middle power of the in the middle of the desert, we reminded this kid that there was a home to go home to. And instantly I realized, like, what what price do you put on that kid's life? 
how much is that kid's life worth? And all of a sudden, the Blackhawk and the other Blackhawk and the equipment and the salaries and the gear, I was like, worth every penny. And I came back from that flight feeling the exact opposite, 100% U-Rah-Rah Air Force. And I was like, I'm going to go be a drill instructor. So so I, I went to go uh, be an MTI. And, and yeah, so that was a time when I felt just beat down. So so there are going to be times in your career and everybody's career that they feel like, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? But what I would say is the second you put on your your uniform to do noble work, you know, whether it's a police uniform, a fire uniform, a military uniform, your hat, you know, what, it, <laughs> seriously, the second you you put on your I'm going to work hat with the the goal in mind to do to do noble work, like you're 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 going to accomplish good things and you're going to feel beat down. But just stay the course. I mean, because you could have that moment that that moment where where you feel like you're insignificant and you're not doing anything of value. And then just out of nowhere, like, oh, we saved a life, you know, using music. So that, that, that's an example. Sorry, super long story, but. No, dude, that's amazing, man. You keep apologizing. That's amazing. <laughs> um, there's, there's this movie, one of my favorite movies of all time. It's, uh, it's called Remember Me. Um, I forget who's in it. I just, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I watched when I was like 17 and it's always stuck with me. And it's about okay. 9-11. Oh, right on. Um, and one of the quotes in there is like, you will there will be times where you'll feel insignificant. Mm -hmm. Um, There will be times where you are insignificant, but it's important that you still do those things. And just like, Mm -hmm. even as a creator or entrepreneur, like there have been times where I posted a video. I'm like, shit, like that was the worst thing I've ever posted. (laughs) Should I take it down? Should should I delete it? And I don't. And then I get a message like a day later, yo, that saved my life. That was what I needed to hear. Exactly. Exactly Mm -hmm. what I needed to hear. You just impacted my life. And it's, it's so, so, so important that we take those steps anyway, even mm-hmm. if we do feel insignificant. Amen. So I don't apologize for sharing the stories, dude. That's dope. Um, what's, what's next for you? Where are you going? What do you want to accomplish? Wow. I mean, I am, I, I never, and it's a testament to just how crazy a career path can be, you know, a professional musician to being a, an Air Force musician to being a drill instructor, an MTI, like that was another 90 degree turn. And then well, I was in, I got my master's degree in nonprofit administration because I really wanted to feel like I was connected to something bigger. And so I went to the nonprofit world and I was an executive for the Boy Scouts of America for a couple mm-hmm. of years. Then for a little under a year, I was with a smaller nonprofit, like I talked about earlier, the financial literacy one. Um, but now being with with J-Dog, I never thought I would be in the junk industry. And really it came down to me meeting the the founder of of this franchise of of this collection of of territories in southeastern wisconsin uh it's a testament to how random your career can be and and the power of networking because i saw this guy on linkedin i reached out to him said we should connect and then i met him in person so there's those two facets Mm -hmm. there's the electronic connection and then there's the in-person connection and just hearing him talk for 10 minutes he's a military guy j-dog junk hauling and removal is veteran owned and operated um so he was just kind of a grizzled senior non-commissioned officer, straight shooter, didn't mince words. He dropped 14 F-bombs in the first <laughs> paragraph, pretty much. But I walked away from that saying, like, wow, I didn't know. Like, I'm so inspired right now. I cannot, I cannot, I can't, I would jump into a volcano after this guy. So I, that same night, I wrote him a LinkedIn message. I said, I'd like to see if there's, if there's a, a fit here, if there's a connection. And it turned out that they were looking for a guy to run out of their Butler office, Southeastern Wisconsin operations. So, I mean, it was serendipitous, perfect timing. And, and so 
I don't see myself moving from from JDog at all. I am in love with this industry. Um, we empower veterans through meaningful employment, not just a gig, but a meaningful employment, a family, a community, decent wages. Uh, we support our community uh, by helping them to re- recycle goods and we're involved in their, their community and we protect our environment. You know, up to, up to 85% of the stuff that we acquire, we keep out of a landfill. So those are things that I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about serving veterans and passionate about protecting our environment. So I don't see myself going anywhere. I mean, this is, and, and we're growing too, believe it yeah. or not, Butler, Wisconsin populations, couple hundred, uh, the J-Dog site there that serves Southeastern Wisconsin is the most successful J-Dog franchise in the nation wow. um, out of hundreds um, by a long shot. And the next closest is Dallas, Texas. So if you think about the differences in those markets, yep. Butler, Wisconsin is has more successful revenue-wise than Dallas, Texas. Um, so, I mean, I feel like I just jumped on a moving freight train and I'm just holding on for dear life and, and I'm not going to let go. Um, on the side, uh, I'm going to try my best when I have time to plan, to plan, to have time uh, to write articles for the post-military professional just stuff that pops into my head that I think would be valuable for a transitioning veteran to, to learn about the civilian workforce. And, and also I hope to speak more. I really enjoyed, uh, the, the seminar I gave at Concordia university where I met Kylie. Um, and I've done some kind of individual engagement since I want to, I want to do more of it and I want to help more people develop their, their network and take those first steps towards, you know, building a career and a financial future that, that they can support themselves and their families and, and their loved ones with. So that's, that's in the future. And I don't know how that's going to manifest. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what that looks like because it's going to, it's probably going to be something that I have that I don't expect whatsoever. And it could be something that, I mean, that I couldn't even, I mean, I could be a scuba diving instructor <laughs> that, that teaches underwater networking class. I don't know, you know, <laughs> It's kind no, of, it's that's kind awesome. Of stretch, that's awesome. I'm excited to watch it unfold, dude. I, I do want to take it back just like sure, sure. Yeah. a little bit. You said um, you've pivoted a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. Can you walk me through like what was going through your mind briefly um, in all of those stages and how you knew to pivot? You you get signs that a lot of people don't like to recognize because signs are scary. Signs to move, to transition, to take leaps. Those are frightening. But you can't you you can't mistake them. You get those signs. They're 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 no doubters. And and what I've done is taken those signs and 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 run with them. And it's not being haphazard, like following your whim, like, oh, I should become I should learn how to play tennis and then I'll teach tennis lessons. And, you know, if that's your thing, that's great. Uh, but I don't want to insult the, the greater tennis community. I love tennis, by the yeah. way. I suck, but I love it. <laughs> I like it too. But but obviously I'm not a tennis guy, you know. Um, that would be a stretch for me, you know. But but if I got a sign, like I got into a car accident with a tennis player and he said, here, take my racket, you know, as he was passing away, I'd be like, okay, that's my sign. I need to go play tennis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's it's not just following whims haphazardly, but it's like you get no doubter signs. When I was in the Air Force band, I was feeling a little burnt out about where I was and what I was doing. I was, you know, I'd been on the road for, you know, four years off and on all over the Midwest, all over the world. And I was, you know, and I had gotten back from that deployment just ready to rock. 
And it was hard for me to get back and just do the same thing that I was doing. And then I got an email and I was, you know, feeling down again. And I got an email that said, like, we have an opening for one of these two specialized MTI positions. And I was like, that's it. Like, I was literally thinking, like, what am I going to do? I'm not happy right now. I mean, I'm, I'm content, but I'm not, not yeah. flourishing. You know, I'm not being challenged. And I was literally thinking, you know, like head on my hand, like, what am I going to do? And the email popped up and I was like, well, there's my no doubter. Boom, done. Um, and then my decision to get out of the Air Force was I was trying, I was separated from my family for a while. They were in St. Louis area and I was stationed in San Antonio, which is really hard. It was like a couple of years and it was, it was awful. You know, I saw them once every four or six weeks. And it was, it was tough. Um, and so, so my sign was when I tried to transfer and I try, or I tried to change my role and anything that I could do in the military, I tried literally everything that you can try to, to, to move, to transfer, to, to transition to the guard or the reserve, anything that would get me to be with my family. I tried everything over, over months and months and months and months and months. Um, but it was seeing those constant brick walls. And finally I had this last ditch effort that that failed that we were really confident about that it was like you know that's my sign i'm not in control of my life right now i'm not in control of where i can be and how i can be there and what i could do when i'm there i don't i shouldn't be in the military anymore like i've loved it i'm proud of my service i've learned a ton i love being an mti but my where i belong is with my wife and the kids and seeing that last brick wall was, was my sign. I need to, I need to go. Um, and while I was in, you know, I had gotten that master's in nonprofit administration and, and really the only company, the only organization nonprofit that valued my military service, um, as, as employment experience, every, every company says, thanks for your service. They're, yeah. they're thankful that you're a veteran, but very few people actually appreciate the, the values and the skills and experiences and traits that you bring to the table by virtue of your service. Very few, there's a, there's almost a veteran prejudice from an employer standpoint. And it's really challenging for a lot of veterans to overcome. Um, but people would, they'd look at my resume and they wouldn't see that it said I was in Air Force Public Affairs and I was in Air Education and Training Command and this elite, highly trained position and all this stuff. They would see he was in the Air Force. How does him rolling around in the desert with a rifle apply here? So the only company that, that called me back and was like, dude, you, I read your resume was Boy Scouts of America. And that was an eye-opening experience for me because I had pictured the Boy Scouts as this, you know, I was into education and training. I wanted to mentor the next generation. And I thought that that was a great vehicle because they teach a lot of things that just aren't taught anymore yeah. in houses or in schools. But the thing that, that kind of, you know, made me shrug a little bit was just the history of the Boy Scouts of America. It seemed to me like it was more of a homogenous, good old boys, you know, it's it's the club for white middle class and high and men, you know, boy and and not inclusive and and closed off. And had they not changed um changed their policy um on their inclusivity, inclusivity, inclusiveness? Inclusiveness. Yeah, <laughs> uh, had they not changed their policy, I wouldn't have been able to work with them, you know, because inclusion is is my thing. But I was shocked at how diverse they were and how, how that organization celebrated diversity. It would, it would blow your mind. And they've, they made a lot of progress in a short amount of time. 
And, you know, a lot of the kind of good old boys, you know, left the organization after 100 years out of spite. And you know what? And thanks for your time. But, yeah. you know, we're the, the organization's kind of getting with the getting with the times and uh, they made a lot of cool strides. And, and so that was that was neat for me to see that. And uh, I had just some some chance encounters that my position after that was secure futures was a chance networking encounter. And then J dog was a chance networking encounter. And those were signs like no doubt or sign. meeting Andy wines who runs, who owns J dog. Um, it co-owns the, the J dog in Southeastern Wisconsin, meeting him and walking away. So inspired. That was a no joke sign. Like, had I not, I, had I not messaged him and said like, I need to work for you. Then I, mean, I can only imagine like what the opportunity that I would have missed. Um, so, so that's a long answer to a short question, but that it's, it's the science like, and yeah, my career doesn't look like a straight line, but I wouldn't change a thing. I learned a lot in every position and learned a lot from a lot of different people. And, you know, I still have a lot to learn and I'm excited for, for what's next. I don't know what's next, but I'm just gonna, you know, wait for, wait for the next sign. But, but for the near future, I mean, it's my future's with J-Dog. I'm a big fan. I love it, man. And it fucked the straight line, man. Like when I, <laughs> yeah. when I was like initially like taking off on LinkedIn and people first started watching my videos, like um, my company was doing really, really well, but I had just met Eric. Eric was crushing on LinkedIn and mm. I'm like, shit, like I don't, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. And I'm 20, I think I was 23 at the time. Why mm. am I doing this? Why mm. am I building something I don't want to build? That was my side, meeting all those different creatives, all those mm. different people. Mm -hmm. And I use that to do what we're doing now, man. Right on. I'm happier than ever. You so guys are I agree. It too. Look at the signs. Yeah, look at the signs. <laughs> follow, follow your heart. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. So what you've done a lot of different things. You've pivoted a bunch from it's crazy like, life. Yeah. Dude, it's it's definitely not a straight line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but what what makes you a misfit? What about you goes against the green? Oh boy. I think in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm kind of mild mannered, you know, I kind of go with the grain in a lot of ways, but not, I wouldn't say in a bad way. The thing, the thing that, that I go against the grain with is I am, I'm obsessive about everything like good and bad. It's a blessing and a curse, but, but the people that open up a blog, for example, that just like, oh, maybe I'll write a few articles or whatever. And it fizzles and it, they, it, they can't build anything because they don't they don't want to really do it. You know, I mean, I'm obsessed with the post-military professional and, and you get it. You're not in your head. You understand, like, because oh, yeah. you have that same obsession. Um, and I will be uh, dedicated to something to the point of complete and utter self-destruction. Like I will lose sleep. I will like, I will make endless sacrifices, you know, just, just to achieve, to build what I want to build when I get obsessed with something. Um, so I, I think that kind of goes against the grain a little bit because there's so many people out there that are like, well, I really want to do blank. But what they're really saying is, is I want blank to happen to me. You know, <laughs> they don't, they don't, they don't want to put in the sweat equity, you know, to build something special. So um, yeah, I guess, I guess there's a good quote by Jen Sincere. She says that so often we think that we've agreed. So often we think that we've decided to do something, but mm. we've, what we've really done is decided to do something until it gets too hard. So right. you have to have that obsession, right? You have to make that decision. Yeah. So lastly, like where can people find you? Where should people hit you up? Right on. Uh, what should they look for? 
connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Adam Bratz, B-R-A-A-T-Z. Bratz, not Bratz. Bratz, pronounced like multiple German sausages. <laughs> yep. Plural form. Uh, yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. Reach out, say hey. You know, uh, LinkedIn's been kind of a new thing for me. And I guess in the greater scheme of my life, last year and a half, I really started taking it seriously. And and it's really open doors, you know. I, I And if you're in the area, I'd love to connect with you. If you're not in the area, I'd love to connect with you in person. I had a great example um, that I just posted about of a guy that I looked at his LinkedIn page. And I was like, man, I got to meet this guy. And it turns out he's in Minneapolis. Mm, and I was and I was traveling to Minneapolis that weekend. So I reached out to the guy. I was like, let's hang out. So we got coffee just this last Saturday uh, or Sunday. Rather, we hit it off, had a great time and we're going to be pals and we're going to collaborate, you know. So so that's sort of thing I'm into. Like and I will meet with I'll meet with anyone and everyone. You that's know. awesome, dude. And so LinkedIn's a great way. Otherwise, you can go to postmilitarypro.com. I'm sure you put all this in the show notes oh, yeah. or whatnot. But it'll be there. Yeah, right on. Eric's so. gonna do it, not me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's uh just don't don't be bashful. Reach out, say hey. And and if there's any way that I can help, uh not just if you're in the veteran community, you know, um, if there's any way I can help plug what you're doing or or you know, help share my network or connect you with people. Like I'm, I'm all about it. And if you want me to come speak at your thing about professional network development or whatever, like I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, man. Brother. Always with a fist bump. I'm telling yeah, you, I don't know why. <laughs> Just wanted to give a huge thank you one more time to Adam Bratz for hopping on the podcast. Incredible stories, incredible dude. And also a huge shout out to our sponsor of this episode, and that's going to be Moral Code. So you can use our code MKE Misfits, case does not matter, at shop.moralcode.com. Also, check out any of our other content, and the links are going to be around me. Peace, guys.